0: Take a moment and think about the best and deepest friendship you've ever had. Think about the one where you're most free to be yourself and to share your heart. Where you could talk for hours about anything and and everything and perhaps nothing at all. And think about how naturally the conversation flows with with total honesty and ease, where you can just cover any topic that comes to to either of your minds. And now realize that the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you that is better than the one you're remembering. God created us to walk with him in the garden, to have a relationship that's ongoing and free-flowing, that's honest and deep and rich, and completely natural. But the reality is most of us fall somewhat short of that ideal, don't we? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but but how many of you here find that your conversations with God are limited? They're brief. They're stilted. Awkward or unnatural. Repetitive or superficial. Now think back to that treasured human friendship. Think back to the way it was when it first began. Were your conversations immediately deep and free-flowing? Or were they also somewhat awkward and stilted, shallow and perhaps guarded, where you weren't comfortable being your true self and you're each wearing masks to project a little bit of a different false you? Well, just as that human relationship ripened and matured over time, our relationship with God will ripen and mature and deepen over time if, and it's a big if, if we give it the same priority and energy that we give to our human relationships. Prayer, the ability for us to talk to God with the confidence that he is our loving Father in heaven who wants to hear from us is one of our most extraordinary privileges of our life in Christ. Because of Christ's work, Hebrews 4.16 proclaims, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw, Draw ourselves, come before the throne of God the Father, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we come to the Lord in prayer, it's not like we're going to some overbearing boss asking for a raise. It's like going to the very best friend we could ever possibly imagine, the one who always wants what is the very best for us. And Scripture says that there is no concern that is too small or, or unimportant for the infinite God of the universe to hear about. We're commanded in Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're encouraged later in Scripture to pray without ceasing. This is the extraordinary privilege of prayer that belongs to every single follower of Jesus Christ, but are we, are we taking advantage of this privilege? Are we using it to its utmost? And with this privilege comes tremendous power because we are told in 1 John 5:14 and 15 that if we are praying in God's will, he will grant our requests. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So how do we truly become people of power uh, of powerful prayer? How do we become people for whom prayer is a joy and a delight and an ongoing conversation with God that is as natural as any conversation we could have with our best earthly friend? How do we learn to pray according to God's will so that we can have this total assurance that John talks about that our prayers will be answered? How do we learn to pray without ceasing? But regardless of where your relationship with God is this morning, 2018 can be the year that that relationship deepens immensely, where your delight in the Lord grows without bounds. And to help that happen, we are going to kick the year off by talking about prayer, this extraordinary privilege that we have that we so often take for granted, fail to use. We're going to be looking at prayer. We're going to be enjoying prayer. And we're going to do it by looking closely at three prayers from the greatest prayer of all, Jesus Christ. You see, both as a church and as individuals, God has laid before us a tremendous vision that is far beyond our limited human capabilities to accomplish. We have no choice. Our primary tool must be persistent, powerful prayer, or we will fail. We will fail individually, we will fail collectively. We must become a people of prayer. Prayer when we are gathered together and prayer when we have scattered to our homes. Our prayer must mature and ripen in nature and and for this we're going to look to Jesus Christ as our teacher. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer. A prayer which... Naturally, it can be organized in two sections, and so we're going to look at that this week and next. Today, we'll look at the first section, which we find in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we study this model and pattern for growing and deepening our prayer life, I want to focus on two things this morning that we see revealed in these verses. What it teaches us about the process of prayer, which is both conversational and honest, and what it demonstrates to us about the foremost priority of prayer, which must be God's glory. So first, let's consider the process of prayer, prayer that is conversational and honest. You see, before Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them how not to pray. Verse 7 says, Do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And this word Gentiles going to be translated as pagans pagan prayers of the day involved meaningless repetition and and just piling on of fancy titles and and honorifics given to whatever God they were praying to. That's what's translated here as empty phrases, words that add nothing to the prayer other than the length. Another way to translate this is don't babble. Our conversations with God should be conversational. They should be meaningful. They should be thoughtful. That is the point that Jesus is making here. We should not just fill it up with empty, meaningless stuff. When we pray to God, when we talk to God, we shouldn't be repetitive or flashy or putting on a show. We don't have to fill our prayers with these and thys and thous unless that's how we actually talk. Our prayers should not be mindlessly repetitive, the same every day without thought. They should not be rote, because then what are we doing? Piling up empty phrases. If we're not thinking about it, it's an empty phrase. Verse 9 tells us to address our prayers to our Father in heaven and then get to the business of praying. So how many of us actually do this? is influenced by our culture, by often what we have seen and been, been trained by, by prior church experience or, or simply by discomfort of entering into the presence of God. Many of us do exactly what Jesus said not to do. We habitually pile up empty phrases when we pray. When we do this, we create a barrier to, to deep and meaningful and prayerful relationship with the God who already loves us Because we're too busy trying to fill it with stuff and not get to the conversation. The picture that Jesus is painting of prayer here is one of conversational efficiency. Think about how brief the Lord's prayer is. And that doesn't mean that our prayer time should be short, you know, 15 seconds and we're done. We could pray for hours. But when we do... It shouldn't just be filled with us repeating the same few things over and over again like the prophets of Baal trying to call down fire from heaven. As Jesus points out in verse 8, God already knows what we need before we ask. Now let's go back to our analogy of talking with our earthly BFF. Our bestie that we can talk to for hours and the conversation is never artificial or stilted. It's never flowery or repetitive, right? We don't talk to our friends like that. And God made us to have a better friendship with him than with anyone else. And so we need to learn to talk with him like he is a respected and beloved friend. Now, we may have similar conversations from day to day because Scripture commands us to be persistent in our prayer. But that doesn't mean that any individual conversation needs to sound like a broken record. Same thing over and over again. There's another implication of verse 8, which is that our prayers should be honest because God already knows what's on our heart. He already knows the truth. Now, again, I think there's been a lot of conditioning in churches that we only pray superficially, that we focus on, on safe subjects, the harmless big topics that, that couldn't possibly offend God. And so we, we, we avoid talking about the things we're struggling with, the things where we are hurting, things where there's pain and suffering, because, again, we, we're afraid we're going to offend God. But he already knows what's on our heart. Prayer is intended as a way for us to lay those things before him, to lay before him the good and the bad and the ugly. And I say this because I look at the Psalms, the Psalms which are our greatest resource in learning how to pray honestly. Anytime you want to work on taking your prayer to a deeper level, go back through the Psalms. Through the inspired words of the psalmist, we see every emotion on display. We see anger and disappointment, fear and despair, shame and triumph, joy and satisfaction and peace. There is this messy, gritty honesty in prayer, and yet through it all, there is an unshakable confidence in God. This is the model for honest and conversational prayer with a God who knows everything. This is what we should be striving for in our prayer life if, if we have been lacking to this point real honesty in talking to God. And as, as Jesus teaches us this model prayer, right, this emphasis on honest, conversational, thoughtful prayer that is never wrote or repetitive. And and one of the greatest tragedies of Christian life is that at the very moment where Jesus says, don't lift up empty, rote, repetitive prayers, we so often have made the Lord's Prayer exactly that. It has become empty and rote and repetitive, and this is a terrible thing. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be a model for us. Jesus says in verse 9, pray, pray like this, which doesn't necessarily mean we have to use these exact words, because all too often we use the exact words every day, we become rote and repetitive and lose the meaning, and we're not thinking about it, and all we're doing is piling up empty phrases. This is a pattern and a model for us of what honest conversational prayer looks like, prayer that lifts up both the priorities of God and our very real physical and spiritual needs. This is about how to pray how to pray conversationally and honestly. It's not a dictate that we must always pray word for word this way. And so as we consider the first half of the Lord's Prayer today, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hope you notice it's not about us. These requests are not about you, and they are not about me. These three requests focus solely on God's glory. And this is the foremost priority of prayer, which is a critical lesson we most of us need to either learn or learn better. Again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but just think about for yourselves, how often does God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will Are they consistently the first things that you're praying about when you pray? We often reverse the priorities of prayer. We focus on ourselves and our friends and our loved ones. We do this when we're alone. We do this when we're collecting prayer requests as a group. Think about the first things that always come up. And we absolutely should be praying about these things. We're going to talk about that next week but we shouldn't be praying about them first. We need to discipline ourselves to prioritize God's glory over human needs. Over time, I think you will find, as I have, that this actually reshapes the way you think about everything as you go through your day. I found that as I have gotten better about this, as I have learned to genuinely desire God's glory, genuinely put His interests before mine, lift them up first in prayer that it has altered the way I process the events I encounter in the day, the priorities I encounter, and I have grown in my relationship and understanding of God. And so I want to use the rest of our time this morning to consider these three short petitions, to think about what they really mean, and then decide do we really mean it? When we say these things, are we just piling up empty phrases? I want God's Word to reshape our prayer life this year in a way that is God-centered, while remaining conversational and honest. And the very first petition is, Hallowed be your name. Now, this is one that I think runs a big risk of being an empty phrase because I'm not sure how many of us are really solid on what the word hallowed means. Because other than Halloween and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, I don't think the word hallow comes up in conversation very often, at least not for me. So to help us avoid piling up empty phrases, let me just say that to be hallowed is to be held as sacred, to be honored as holy and precious. And in this prayer, we need to realize that God's name is is much deeper than just his literal name, God or Yahweh. That biblically, someone's name describes not only their name, but their essential nature, their character, their reputation. And so what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is that the name and nature and reputation of God should be held as sacred and honored throughout the entire world. This is a prayer that others would come to know and love God. That they would come to to faith, to honoring and worshiping and obeying God as we do. And so, when you pray each day, when you pray throughout the day, is this a normal part of your prayer? Are you praying for the lost and ungodly in the world around us that that rather than continuing to live a life where they are profaning the name of God and living a life of rebellion against His good plan for their flourishing, that they would come to know God in a transformational way through faith in Jesus Christ? We need to be praying this. This, I do not believe is an exaggeration when I say that for our long-term future as a church, it is built on this request that God's name would be hallowed around the world. You see, our core mission as a church is to make disciples, to lead people to faith in Christ, and that's, that's a work that is hard in this world. right? It is a cynical world. It is a skeptical world. And we will never bring a single person to Jesus Christ on our own strength and ability. It is always through the work of God. So we need to be praying for this work. We need to be praying for this diligently, fervently, daily, hourly. Or else we're simply wasting our time as a church. Are you praying that God's name would indeed be hallowed? But I also want to submit that there is a second dimension to this particular petition, this request that God's name would be hallowed, that we need to remember this part as well when we pray it. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you carry the name and reputation of God with you everywhere you go. You carry God's name and reputation and honor with you to church, of course, but also to work, to school, to the mall, to the sports field, to the highway, to the internet. So if you ask this prayer, if you pray this, are you praying that God's reputation will be upheld and enhanced by every single thing that you say, that you do, that you write, that you post online? Are you praying that every aspect of your lifestyle would present God as sacred and holy? And if you're not, then you're piling up an empty phrase. Pray for God's help, for you to do your part in hallowing his name. And then Jesus teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come. And honestly, as I examine myself, as I consider the way our culture lives, what it teaches, the priorities we seem to put, I wonder how many of us really genuinely want this one to come true. Once again, there are two dimensions to this because God's kingdom is both already and not yet. God's kingdom is already here. It arrived in the person of Jesus Christ and it has been growing for the past 20 centuries. God's kingdom is right here in Lake Ridge, Virginia and every person who calls on the name of Jesus is Lord and Savior. But scripture also makes clear that the kingdom is not yet. It is not yet what it will be when Christ returns to complete and perfect and consummate the kingdom in the world. And both of these aspects of the kingdom should be in our mind as we pray for God's kingdom to come. We must be, on the one hand, praying for the already of the kingdom. We should be praying passionately and sincerely for God's kingdom to grow more and more. Each of us should be praying for the work of the church, for making disciples, for reaching the lost, for pushing back the borders of the kingdom of darkness one soul at a time. We should be praying for the inbreaking of God's kingdom in the far reaches of the world where no one's ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. And we should be praying for the advance of God's kingdom right across the street as we show the love of Christ to neighbors who've never experienced it. We as a people, individually and collectively, need to pray and pray and pray for this. We should be passionately praying for the lost and hurting people around us. Praying for God's kingdom to advance through the work of this church and others. The responsibility to pray for this lies with each and every one of us. And you might be too busy, too young, too old, too sick, too weak to get out there with the gospel on a daily basis, but you can pray daily and hourly or for hours for this church to be faithful in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and for those around us to be open and receptive to hearing it and accepting it and embracing salvation through faith in Jesus. I would love it if our senior saints would decide to band together as kingdom warriors praying for this, for the lost in our community and the growth of God's kingdom desperately want our church to take this seriously in our prayer life. At every group meeting and in the, the quiet of our personal prayer closet that we would indeed be praying for God's kingdom to come. But we must also remember that Jesus is teaching us to pray for the not yet of the kingdom. That we would be earnestly praying for the return of Christ and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth described in the end of Revelation. This is one I think we can sometimes struggle with as we enjoy the relative peace and comfort of life in Northern Virginia. I wonder how many of us are really passionate for Christ's return? How many people are really praying for Christ to come quickly? And how many of us are praying, could you wait a few years? Could you wait a few generations? Because we're really busy enjoying our lives and our careers and our families somehow we need to get on the same page as Jesus Christ and recognize that his return is exciting and desirable and a priority for our prayer life, even as we are at the same time praying faithfully for his kingdom to advance until that day comes. And then Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done on earth the same way it is in heaven. And here, too, I think we struggle whether we really mean this or if we're just piling up an empty phrase. Because when we genuinely pray this, and we should be, we are following the example of Jesus Christ, putting God's will before our personal wish list. You see, in heaven, God's will is supreme. It is unquestioned. It is executed immediately. And my question is, is that actually our wish here for our lives? That God's will, regardless of what it is, regardless of our personal cost, would be supreme and unquestioned and executed immediately in our life? This petition is all about asking and inviting God to do what he knows is best, regardless of what it costs us. It was modeled for us by Jesus as he went to suffer and die on a Roman cross, though he had committed no crime to deserve it. And before he went, we see Jesus wrestling. Wrestling with what must be done to bring salvation to wicked people like you and me. But he yielded to the will of the loving God who had sent him to suffer and die. Jesus Christ, the innocent, sinless, eternal Son of God, voluntarily allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross to die in a terrible way as the last perfect sacrifice needed to pay the penalty for every bit of sin and shame and guilt that we pile up in our lives. This is what we'll be remembering and celebrating in just a few minutes as we gather around the Lord's table. This is We must realize this sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what it looked like for God's will to be done in his life. So are we serious when we pray for God's will to be done in our life? If we are serious, we must become indifferent to our wishes and our desires, our plans, our dreams, and instead be passionate about those of God. Our desire should be to develop so much trust in God that we yearn for his will to be done here on earth. Not our will. As we look at these three requests, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, what he is teaching us to pray is that we would hallow his name, submit to his reign, and do his will. Is this our prayer today? And do we really mean it? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege that we have, that through faith in Christ, we are able to come before your throne. This is almost mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling that you welcome us into your presence, we creatures of dust that we are, that you want to hear from us and that you care and love us. But Lord, the challenge is to learn to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, as Jesus demonstrated through his own sacrifice, to to pray and live a life that truly seeks to hallow your name, that truly desires the growth of your kingdom, and that submits to your will in every way. Lord, help us to be a people who learns to pray like this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In just a few moments, we will gather around the Lord's table, but before we do, we have a few minutes just to worship through song, and I invite you in this time to prepare yourselves for what we are about to experience. The Apostle Paul commands us to be prepared when we come to the table to discern the body, to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the way that he perfectly lived out this prayer, the way he glorified the Father by going to the cross, the way he inaugurated the kingdom through his coming, the way that he lived out the Father's will, even at the expense of his body broken and his blood poured out to create a new covenant, a new way to reach God, not through laws and rules that we can't follow, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So take time to discern the body, take time to reflect on this, and take time as well to recognize that as we gather around the table, we are one body, the body of Christ, gathered as one to celebrate the death of our Savior. Let us worship. Stand as we worship.